The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. I don't like that, Scott. No, <laughs> threw me I, off. I threw a little yeah. curveball point at Jay. And, uh, There's a double point overhead <laughs> twist. Yeah. I've been practicing. I figured you'd appreciate it more than you do. No, not, maybe on the first show. I'm just like, oh, okay. All right. Now I'm, now I'm just, like, let's just, let's just start over. Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Sorry. It's that time again. Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. We're back with Jeremy from Brewery Taru. Hello. <laughs> Is that close enough to the mic? Yes. Now you sound like a million bucks, dude. You sound as good as your beers taste. Yeah. Got another one open. Uh, room for more. We'll get into that in just a second. Um, I will not be bringing the leftovers from this bottle out to the, yeah, had a, the plebes out I there. I had a feeling. <laughs> one thing I wanted to mention uh, off the top we didn't get to on the last show was uh, I did promise an update on the uh, Rare Barrel Yazoo crowdsourced sour beer collab. Yeah. What's the latest? Remember? Yeah. Remember this, Scott? Of Have course. You have you heard about this? Doing a lot better. We did a lot more surveys on uh, Milk the Funk, and we're up to the point of knowing kind of what we have going for our the beer we're shooting for, the primary fermentation, secondary inoculants. If you guys are listening live, check in. Over the next few days, we'll be start, starting to talk about uh, malt bill, hop bill, stuff like that. And then by the time the, uh, the March show comes out, I'll have already gone out to Nashville and brewed that beer. Nice. So I just wanted to... Drop that little bit in there, but keep checking on uh, Milk the Funk if you want to get more involved. Hashtag Sour Collab. You going to do any uh, bourbon trail stuff when you're out in Nashville? Yeah. You and, should. And hot chicken. <laughs> exactly. Really good for the stomach. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to that, but also looking forward to talking about Room for More, the next great beer we've had from uh, Brewery True. Tell us yeah. more about this beer. So uh, this beer is called Room for More. I brought this in today because it's, uh, you know, built on the backbone of the same barrels that we just tasted that are blended into Ruse. Um, so this is our sour blonde barrel-aged um, beer that's uh, blended and then put into um, secondary fermentation tanks. Um, we use toad tanks for this. And it is re-fermented with fresh peaches and fresh nectarines from Masamoto Family Farms in the Fresno area. So they're organic heirloom peaches and nectarines. Uh, we made a beer like this last year called Room for Me that was a nectarine sour. And this year we decided to not only use just nectarines but peaches as well. This uh, orchard is supplying a lot of Southern California breweries with uh, fruit right now. So we weren't able to get the 2,500 pounds of fresh stone fruit all at one time, one varietal. So I worked out a deal with them where we would, you know, bring in two or 300 pounds at a time. So we started, I think, the last week of May, brought in a couple hundred pounds of peaches, I believe. About 10 days later, you know, another 300 pounds of a different varietal came in all the way through July. Um, so we ended up with uh, three different peach varietals and four different nectarine varietals. Um, all added, you know, over that six-week period. So whether this happened or not, I saw it as a way to layer different flavors 
you know, we had some some peaches that were slightly overripe, uh, some nectarines that were slightly underripe. We had, um, you know, just different flavors coming in, different types of fruit too. I don't I don't know if you guys have ever worked with fresh uh, stone fruit, uh, peaches and nectarines, but apparently there's two kinds. There's a clingstone and freestone being that uh, some of them are really easy to process. You could just pull the peach apart and the seed pops out. Others you had to cut the seed out of. Mm-hmm. So it was quite the challenge for the staff. But, you know, we kind of used those opportunities, uh, as Jay and I were discussing earlier, as like a team-building opportunity. We had, you know, some of our marketing staff come over. We had some of our tasting room staff. We had some of our uh, office and warehouse staff as well. Pretty much sent an email out saying, like, hey, anybody got an hour today to come play with some stone fruit? And, uh you know, we put on some music, sat around in some buckets, and, uh, you know, got to know each other better. So um, everybody at the brewery, you know, had a hand in making this beer. Anyway, we finished this off, and it's a, it's a beer for our club members, so it's, it's really not out there in retail. But I thought, it, I thought you guys would enjoy it, so that's why we have it here today. And which what club are you referring to? Uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is primarily for our hoarders club. So this is our kind of top tier, um, you know, club that we make special beer for. These are the guys that really are, you know, all of our club members are ambassadors of our brand as well. You know, they're out there sharing our beer, telling people, you know, how long they've been fans of ours, you know, what special beers they have in their cellar and really turning people on to what we're doing. And a lot of people I meet, especially here at San Francisco Beer Week or, you know, I had this beer, you know, a hoarder member like shared my first sour beer with me, you know, so they really do help us a ton and just like getting the word out there. So are there openings still in this club? If somebody wanted to join, you know, um, I'm not the best person to answer that. I, I make beer, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I got gotcha. I, I believe you have to be chosen to be in the club. Okay, but I believe there are openings in our preservation club, which is our entry level club. Those kind of come up every once in a while. But once again, I guess if you email info or I don't know, maybe <laughs> societies at the brewery. I don't know. There's probably some sort of Somebody who can answer that question a lot better than I could. I'm mostly asking for myself. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Can I? Can you put in a good word for me? <laughs> I could this put beer in. Is a good, amazing. I could put in a good word for you. Oh, yes. Beer is incredible. Have good. you been a chosen one? Well, Jay, <laughs> as a Jew, <laughs> that didn't go as well as I thought. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what to say. Um, oh wait, what? That's not where you were going with that? <laughs> no, that was oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to know a little bit more about the your, your fruiting process, kind of just overall, and specifically when it comes to. The challenges of that re-fermentation. So, you know, this one was, you know, very particular to this beer. You know, you're getting the fruit kind of as you go. Luckily, I, it sounded like those were over the warmer months uh, down oh, yeah. in Southern California. So, and adding just a little bit of time, I'm sure that made it a little easier for the beer to re-ferment the, the fruit. But have you ever run into challenges when it comes to fruit re-fermentation or any, any of the acid that it adds or anything well, like that? Um I'm wondering if you're asking about the temperature because you're here in Berkeley and, you know, you actually get cold. Uh, right. we, don't, we don't really get cold in Southern California. Um, so temperature has really never been a, an issue for us. And quite honestly, like, I've never really had any trouble re-fermenting beer with fruit. That being said, it's not really a predictable timeline. So if you have the time, it will re-ferment, you know. Mm-hmm. There, that is a live barrel or a live tank live cultures in there it wants to do it sometimes you just have to wait i'm not a big fan of uh you know pitching yeast in that secondary state i kind of like the bugs that we already have that being said i'm not a fan of it because 
I've never really done it. You know, maybe that's something that we really need to look at. But if you got your ducks in a row and you're planning for the time that you need, it's good to wait. You know, let it do its thing. That that's been my experience. Gotcha. And you know, you talked about you know not pitching any new yeast or relying on your kind of cultures you have going already. We talked a little bit about the fooders and kind of how that process goes. But you know, you got the house culture too. Is there a way you guys? maintain that over time you know do you expect some some drift there or how how do you manage kind of the main souring bugs that you guys use with the house culture Mm -hmm. well yes i do expect some drift over time which is one of the reasons like i said we're you know starting in the field of actually trying to break it down and figure out what we have so that when we get to that point when it starts to go astray we can actually rebuild it i think we've been uh very fortunate so far to not have it go astray Mm mm-hmm but I'm worried that we might be coming close to D-Day, so to speak. Um, gotcha. So, you know, that's why it's a big thing this year to kind of get that under control, figure out why we have the flavors we have, and potentially, you know, obviously husband that and keep that going. But, you know, maybe take it a step further and start making some changes on, on the small scale and, and see where that leads us, see if we can, you know, make our product better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the project for this year. Have you seen variations that you you think you can ad- attribute to the culture? Just increased acidity or some no. aromas or anything? Or it's pretty consistent? I think it's pretty consistent. We definitely have not seen increased acidity. We've actually seen the opposite of that. But I think that's more of a practice of uh, cellar management and barrel management and actually having a dedicated staff that's, that's working on everything. I mm-hmm. think um, in the past that although everybody at the brewery you know, paid special attention and detail to everything that they did. Having a guy fill barrels one day and not fill barrels again for three weeks. And, you know, one time they're filling, you know, bourbon barrel aged beer that had been fermented in stainless with Saccharomyces versus putting wort into barrels to ferment, uh, you know, malt, you know, mixed culture. I just think there was a lot of discrepancy in, in how those things were handled. Mm-hmm. You know, barrels being put away that were par barrels, you know, half full, you know, some barrels filled to six inches from a bunghole and others filled all the way so i think you know when you set those things up to age over time that you're going to get some different flavors that develop um not necessarily off flavors but more often than not off flavors but definitely increase acetic acid and and whatnot so i think our beers are less sour because of barrel management and dedicated staffing more than a drop off of the mixed culture itself yeah, I think that makes sense. You know, we talk a lot with a lot of guests on the show and homebrewers and just talking about, you know, kind of what's your approach? Are you doing, you know, you brew it at the beginning, then you're waiting a long time to see where it goes. You know, you got to just leave it alone kind of thing versus, you know, very active tasting and blending and movement and all that stuff. And I think there's some, there's a sweet spot in between kind of those two extremes. And it sounds like you guys are, are finding that place when it comes to Again, like you said, the management, the, the fill heights and, and stuff like that, not losing track of any barrels, which when it's, you know, one in 2200, that's yeah, that's totally possible. Right. To do. And so one of my things running my cellar is I, I'm very meticulous about the way I want things. And, you know, originally when I started there, although I think my staff trusted me, I don't think everybody was on board. And I think that, you know, over time. With me reinforcing what I wanted, it became to be what they wanted. And the more they want it, like, the better it gets, you know. Mm -hmm. And that could be as simple as, you know, me spotting a barrel that's dirty, you know, and it drives me nuts. So, you know, I rarely have to go tell somebody, hey, I saw this dirty barrel, you know. And by dirty, I just mean 
maybe it's a little bit active in fermentation and there's some blow off coming out of the bong or something, but they generally know that I want that whole stack taken down and, and taken over to our drain area and washed off. And, you know, I like the outside of our barrels clean. I don't like previous winery markings on our barrels. You know, I don't like staples in the barrels. I don't mm-hmm. like a lot of that stuff, you know, so I mean, all that attention to detail and the small stuff translates to attention to detail on everything else. So well, I hear your staff is listening. So if they want to call in and contradict yeah. any of that, eight four zero one beer. Right. No, I, I hear they're working really hard. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's get to a few questions. Did we do First. like subscribe and review the week no. and all that stuff? No. Got to do it. New episode. <sighs> I'm oh, sorry, oh, Jay. Uh, <laughs> feedback. Give us some. Scott at thebrewingnetwork dot com. Jay at thebrewingnetwork dot com watch us uh there's been a request for jeremy to move slightly to his left so his staff can see him uh they're watching on the brewing network.com slash tv uh listen live search for the brewing network app search bn mobile subscribe and leave feedback on itunes or wherever you get your podcast so are we doing another itunes do we even have another itunes review of the week we sure do jay i should have known uh this is from mast dw the title is Best Beer Radio Available Until the Hot Beer Hour is Released. And the review is 50 episodes thus far of instilling confidence in a growing sour brewing community, which is a fresh contrast to whatever that train wreck on Monday nights is supposedly doling out. <laughs> Thanks for not naming that show also. <laughs> Thanks for the reviews, Mass DW. And thank you to everybody. When you rate and review the show on iTunes, it helps us climb the charts. So your yep. efforts are appreciated. Very much appreciated. Also, be listening to those other BN shows like Brew Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's, that'll round out your Pretty listening sure them, resume. Right? I lost my list, though. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Questions? Sure. Brought to us by SourBeerBlog.com. Yep. Dr. Lambic, bringing you uh, questions as always. Let's go to Jeremy Vians. Jeremy Vians. And he says, uh, hey, guys. Um, actually, he says, hey, guy. I'm a Grand Granby, Quebec, Canada. That's where he's from. He says, I'm also a big fan of the Sour Hour, so I have a couple questions. Feel free to answer some or all of them. One, how does water chemistry can affect sour beer on the long term? Uh, two, you often talk about the fact that most homebrewers do not use aggressive enough bacteria or breaths. How can we grow more aggressive ones on a homebrew scale? Bottle drags, starters. Three, do you guys know the Quebec beer scene? We do some crazy sours up here. Four, do you think the Nordiques will ever come back to Quebec? <laughs> or was <laughs> just you, right? <laughs> yeah, that was me. All right, so let's see. Um, One, water chemistry. Yeah, I know you're not necessarily big on that, right? I wouldn't say I'm not big on it. I just don't. I'm ignorant about it, which is why I'm looking forward to getting the, the idea. Dip, yeah. yeah. Homer yeah. Commercial Use used the, this water <laughs> testing kit, which incorporates a revolutionary photometer or photometer. Which one? Photometer. Photometer. Which is the first and only on the market with its own app. The iDip can perform over 40 water quality tests. Podcast listeners, including this Quebec fan, whose name? Jeremy. Jeremy. I should have remembered. (laughs) (laughs) She sounds Uh, great. (laughs) You can uh, enter code TBN10, that's TBN10, at checkout and save $10 on either the standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process, smartbrewkit.com. So really, I mean, that is a way that we're going to start to try to look into water chemistry, although I do think there's some things you can do with, like, mash salts to affect the mouthfeel but i don't know jeremy do you guys address the water drastically for sour beer versus kind of the what you guys do on the brewery side of things 
I am not an expert on this either, but I do not believe that we do anything different for the sour beer. I know that we we do have an RO unit over there, mm-hmm. and we are, I think, treating some percentage of the water and then not treating another percentage mm-hmm. that's blended, basically. Gotcha. But I'm not, I'm not really the guy to ask about that. Dialed into spec, but not adjusted from, you know, mischief right. to, maybe that's a bad example, but a regular the brewery beer versus brewery right. to brew. Okay. Yeah, no. Well, if two guys that are heading up great sour beer programs and producing excellent sour beer are saying, I never much paid attention to water chemistry, it's not that important for sour beer. Is that fair to say? No, I would no. not say no? that's fair to say. Because... I wouldn't say that either. I would just basically say for myself, uh, we have a very talented brewing staff, and I trust them to feed me the right wort. And I'll, I'll take it from there. But it okay. all starts with them. I got you. And you would say the same thing, Jay? Sure. I mean, and then there's, uh, you know, guests we found on the show that will come on and either contradict what I'm saying or, you know, what some other guest said in a previous episode. So it's I wouldn't say that um, the totality of sour beer brewing knowledge exists in this room right now. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, some of it doesn't exist out there either. So, and I, I'd say water chemistry is an understudied aspect of sour beer production. All right. And then to address quickly, number two, the fact that home brewers do not use aggressive enough bacteria or, or breaths often. And uh, Jeremy says, you know, how can we grow more aggressive ones on a homebrew scale? Yeah, he suggests dregs. I think that's the way I've said before. That's going kind to of cut the skip ahead route. Mm-hmm. So instead of growing up your own yeast and bacteria mix from lab pitch to generation 15 you can get a brewery's generation 15 just by buying their beer basically not having aggressive enough bacteria that's been something that i think has changed a little bit over the course of our show so in the beginning you know i definitely talked a lot about when people start to make sour beer they don't quite get sour or that's like a common thing that people set out to do they make a beer they throw in the rosalair blend from their packet and just wait it out i don't think the acidity develops as fast as they think and so over time instead of lactic acid being produced they're actually getting acetic acid just because it's aging for so long so that's where i was you know in the beginning of this show recommending make sure your bacterial cultures are strong enough now at the same time we found that our bacterial cultures got way too strong right so we had to kind of like turn 180 degrees back on a dime and now it's we're all about how do we knock these back down so it's you know doing primary fermentations without any bacteria increasing our hopping rate getting more into uh, barrel treatment and how that's going to affect our beer going forward so the cultures we have are honestly so strong that we can try to keep bacteria completely out of the equation and if we just kind of lightly let it sprinkle in there then we're going to have more than enough to sour our beers but yeah if you want strong enough bacteria to start with i'd say go for the dregs there you go and then uh just finally you know do you guys know the quebec beer scene we do some crazy hours up here uh i know have you guys ever been up there i know uh dunham those guys are pretty cool or as i like to call them don ham um <laughs> do they use photometers at don ham <laughs> uh no they use photometers <laughs> oh okay but um those are pretty cool guys i have never been up there uh, that's another show entirely there. So, um, but yeah, I, those guys are pretty cool, and those are the only guys I know, though. I hear yeah. good things though constantly about Quebec. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm not familiar either. Uh, Jeremy, uh, write in and enlighten us if we head up there. Where should we go? What beer should we drink? And the Nordiques will never be back to Quebec. I'm sorry. Sorry. Thank you for writing. Sorry. Thank you for writing in. Sorry. All right. Break time. 
Sure. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like pub discounts that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and eZymergy. For tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love. And access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join right now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. Wicked Weed. I'm very hungover right now. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. All right, we're back. It's actually still true of Walt. No matter what day we play it, exactly. he's always hungover. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, man. I'm really hungover right Totally now. perfect. We're back. It's the Sour Hour here with Jeremy from Brewery Cheroo. He's bringing the A game with these beers. we got another one open. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's delicious. This beer is called Bourguignon Blanc. Bourguignon. I used to call it Bourguignon Blanc, mm-hmm. but I was uh, counseled by a Frenchman that you pronounce the first G, apparently. Mm-hmm. So our Bourguignon Blanc. This is quite different from the beers we've had so far. It is. So um, this is a wine beer hybrid. This is, as as all the wine beer hybrids that we do at Cheru, um they're all very heavy-handed. Um, so this is, you know, pushing the boundary on legality, mm-hmm. not really. I mean, it's legal. It's 49% grape juice and 51% beer. That beer is our Sour Blonde base beer, once again, which is why it's kind of good to have it right now yeah. before we switch switch beers. But the winemaker geek in me you know, has to say a few things about this, this beer. So these grapes are Chardonnay grapes. They were sourced from the Santa Maria Valley in um, Santa Barbara County a small vineyard called Costa de Oro Vineyard, which means Gold Coast in Spanish. Uh, it's farmed by a really good friend of mine named Gary Burke. And this Santa Maria Valley is an old uh, riverbed, so it's uh, sandy loam soils. And one thing that you'll notice on this wine, uh, excuse me. <laughs> it's only wow. it's less, it's less than half. <laughs> right. One thing you'll notice on wines that come from um, that area is uh, those wines tend to show a little bit of sulfur, but not that H2S uh, sulfur, more of a gunpowder sort of sulfur. Hmm. Um, so if you can extrapolate that from this aromatics, I mean, to me it's there. But this is obviously a beer that was built around the grape juice. So this beer was, we basically took the grapes, we pressed the grapes, we brought the juice in, we blended the juice with year to year and a half old um, barrel-aged sour beer. Um, and did not pitch any yeast of any nature whatsoever. Um, the bugs in the in the beer took this thing. This this beer is bone dry. This is a negative negative Play-Doh. Mm. Um, it was aged in eight. I don't want to say fresh, but maybe thrice 
thrice used French oak barrels. So it's got, you know, a lot of French oak on it. Um, not, not super aggressive, but it's there. And that design is to obviously play with the Chardonnay and, you know, try to give you a picture of, <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an American winemaker, trying to, uh, winemaker, beer maker, trying to, trying to express, uh, an old world style of a beer that's never been made. So uh, how do you do that? I don't know. But, you know, this is my attempt at that. So uh, again, back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, having to make Cabernet a certain way and now being where you are now with the spirits, I can see why you can go for this for sure. Yeah. It's a lot more experimental. I'm surprised when you described it as heavy handed because I think this is super balanced to well, me it's just yeah. like, or just like the use is heavy i yeah if you would have told me it was 10 percent instead of 49 but it, it's great it's just so integrated yeah it's i really think awesome. uh, volumetrically it's heavy-handed i've made some other uh wine beer hybrids that truly are like cowboy hat pistol in hand you know um you know shoot from the hip type of heavy-handed american machismo if you will um but this one yeah by design you know it is supposed to be the more finesse product by heavy-handed, I just mean volumetrically. I really don't have any interest in making a wine-beer hybrid that's only 10% wine grapes. Like, that, to me, just does not does not thrill me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to overpower it, and I want it to really shine, you know, so that's where we're at with this one. Yeah, it does, but it is real easy going for sure. What's the ABV on this beer? I believe it's 10%. Okay. Oh, damn, really? And then the... The typical. Scott, you're going to need to speak directly into the microphone. Oh, sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> Please forgive me. You're so right. You're right about both. It is 10%. <laughs> I'll take it. That's a pro. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the, the typical gold is going to be more like a 5% type of beer, so that the additional is all from the yep, grapes. Exactly. Okay. That's Yeah, and that's quite a bit of sugar. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, I think this fruit came in at roughly 24 bricks. So, you know, that's that's pretty equivalent to Play-Doh. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's got a lot of sugar. And then again, it's bone dry. I, I, that's my experience with wine beer hybrids is that um, grape sugar being fructose and glucose is very, very fermentable. It just goes. And this is terrific to me. I think, and this is something Jeremy and I have talked about off the air before, I've always had trouble with some of the wine sour beer hybrid beers not a lot just some that really just have a lot of like strange flavors a lot sometimes some ea aspect to it this this is brilliant this is i even this gunpowder thing you're talking about Mm -hmm. i don't really get that if if i did it's just so integrated into everything else that yeah i love it i think it's a great beer well thank you that's good that's a high compliment i think that a lot of our colleagues who are doing wine beer hybrids i I sometimes wonder, you know, if they are building the beer around the grapes or if they're just putting grapes into a beer. Mm-hmm. And so I think that sometimes, you know, things can be so- somewhat disjointed. And, you know, a grape is, it's not a plum. It's not a peach. It, I mean, if you look up sugar profiles and acid profiles, they're not the same. Grapes primarily have tartaric acid as their main acid. Most fruit has citric acid as its main acid or a little bit of malic. So I think that if you're not thinking about true conceptualization on the project, that you're kind of missing something and you're just, you're too on the fly. Like you, you mm-hmm. have to build and design a beer around a grape. You can't just add a grape to a beer. I mean, you can, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't, but you know, that's not the way I choose to do it. How do you do that then? Well, I mean, it, it comes from. You know, if you want to use Chardonnay in a beer, you should probably know your Chardonnay. 
you should probably know Chardonnay really, really well. You know, that's number one, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so you have to plan out for that. You have to you have to understand that, you know, if you're going to put Chardonnay in something, you want that Chardonnay to shine, so you're not going to put it in a, you know, we make a sour stout, you know, called Tart of Darkness. You know, I don't, I mean, you tell me, do you think Chardonnay and a sour stout sounds good together? <laughs> you probably don't, right? Yeah. And Because it doesn't. And so, you know, you have to design a beer around that. And I think every grape potentially you know, might have its match out there in the beer world. Um, I think Saison's a really, really good base to play with uh, wine grapes. Mm-hmm. I'm curious when you're going to do some wine beer hybrids. Me too. I have to understand wine a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm getting from yeah. this conversation. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think that comes with drinking, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, you're gonna have to drink. Uh, but that's you I'll know, start tonight. Okay. It's the same. It's the same thing with beer. You know, like how did you learn about beer? You drank a lot of beer. You drank good beer. You drank bad beer. You know, mm-hmm. you got to drink. You got to have some bad wine to understand good wine, and you got to have good wine to understand what bad wine is. And sometimes that's price point relatable. A lot of times it's not. Yep, definitely. So one other thing I wanted to get into when it comes to maybe it's relatable to winemaking experiences, oak barrel treatment. And, you know, you guys have been doing this for a long time. I was there for, you know, a while of that. And now you guys are continuing to innovate in your processes and making making things better. What's the current status of how you guys treat oak barrels at the brewery? Well, we have two um, very expensive pieces of machinery, an ozone machine, and we have a steamer. So we use both of those. Basically, when barrels come in um, that are new to us, we will steam those barrels. I'm not wholly sold on that if you have a Chardonnay barrel that you get a ton of Chardonnay flavor out of it. I'm not I'm not sold on that. I, it doesn't mean that I'm right, but, you know, to me, like, I don't really have a problem steaming a barrel and, you know, removing some of the funk that's in there from the Chardonnay or the sulfur or whatnot. But basically, we start with steaming barrels for two reasons. Um, one, to clean it, and two, to hydrate it. So both of those things happen. Then that barrel will get rinsed and then purged and filled with beer um, directly from our punchins. So we do all of our mixed culture fermentation in punchins. We don't do any primary Saccharomyces stainless fermentations for a sour beer. So everything's mixed culture. Um, we'll transfer straight to those barrels. They'll get put away. Um, those barrels can be put away for anywhere from, you know, four to five months to three years, depending on the project or the beer. So during that time, a lot of things may happen to that barrel. It may it may be fruited. We may put fruit in the barrel. Uh, we may put vanilla in the barrel. We may put spicing in the barrel. So when it comes time to empty the barrel, we will usually ozone rinse the barrel. Well, we'll start with a hot rinse, uh, followed with an ozone rinse, and then we will let the barrels dry. And depending on the time of the year, um, that could be anywhere from one day to two days, depending on the temperature and humidity. We let the barrel dry. And then we ozone gas the barrel. So we don't do, typically, at least on the sour side, we don't do any um, storage solution in the barrels. Um, I know a lot of other beer guys do do that. Coming from the wine world, I never knew a winery to ever do that. They would sulfur the barrels, and if they couldn't fill the barrels within a month or two, then they usually just sell them and start over. Hmm. But we will ozone gas the barrels and tape them up with a duct tape or painter's tape or something. And then we need to redo that every month. Mm-hmm. Um, just to keep the bacterial load at bay, so to speak. I haven't seen any evidence that steaming or ozoning the barrels um, kills the integrity of the mixed culture in the barrel. Um, the way I look at it is like it's killing some beneficial stuff, but it's also killing non-beneficial stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know the way bacteria works is 
if you have one bacteria, you know, the next day you have two, and the next day you got 30 billion. So it's not going to kill it all. It's all still going to be there. Um, but you are doing your your best to mitigate the bad stuff that, you know, even if you don't taste acetic acid in your beer, there's there's probably acetobacter in there. You know, it's just it just is the nature of what we do with sour beer. So that's like kind of the baseline of what we do and how we do it. But ultimately, like every barrel is different. You may have a barrel that needs to be steamed all the time, you know, like it's maybe it's just funky. So I like to instill in my guys too, like there is no flow chart on how to do this. You need to be cognizant and in tune with what you're doing and, you know, make your own decision tree based on what you see. And most importantly, absolutely most importantly, like what you smell. Mm-hmm. Like your nose is the biggest, biggest tool in sensory. And that is to be said with sensory unfinished beer, but on barrels. So my guys smell every barrel before they fill the barrel. They're not allowed to fill a barrel without smelling it. At least that's what I tell them. Hopefully they follow, they follow everything. Yeah, guys. Are you guys listening yeah, as so. I point at the camera? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, that's the biggest thing. Like if, it, if the barrel doesn't smell good, it's not good. That's just all there is to it. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't save that barrel. There are treatments you can do. You can steam it. You can ozone it. Um, you can put chemicals in it. You can try to save it. And you, you'll generally do that if you have a barrel that's worth $300 or $1,000. On a barrel that's worth 20 bucks. you're not going to spend the labor to try to save it. You'll just kick it out, you know. Mm-hmm. But I truly believe that your nose is king, you know, so you got to use it. Good rule of thumb I use for... The, just your refrigerator, too. If mm-hmm. there's ever a question, if you sniff something and there's even a hint of a question in your head, it's not good. Just toss it. It's the same rule of thumb, right? Like, if you have a question in yeah. your head, you it's ask no her, good. You ask your mom to smell it, and if she <laughs> says it doesn't smell good, right. then you don't eat it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what about the tape? And you just, the tape you refer to. Are no. you talk, talking about putting a strip in between the staves or wrapping the whole barrel? No, I'm talking about just covering the bunghole. Oh, just the bunghole. Yeah, okay. so two pieces of duct tape will help you out there. A lot of people use bungs. I use ozone. I really like ozone. Sulfur is hard to deal with, um, and burning sulfur sticks is what some people do. Um, that's very labor-intensive. Mm-hmm. You can also get, like, tanks of sulfur and actually just gas, like, little five-second bursts of sulfur, but it's like, extremely, extremely toxic, and you have to have a respirator and kinds of stuff. But we use tape because ozone will degrade the silicone bung. Um, sulfur will also degrade a, sil- a silicone bung. You'll see over time that the silicone bung will become really, really hard. Um, which isn't really good for a seal later in life, but you can actually just dedicate some bungs for sulfur and other bungs for beer. But I like ozone gas. It seems to work really well, and we already have the ozone machine. It, it's just a safer a safer deal. Yep. Let's, uh, let's do a quick uh, barrel question here from uh, Anthony Lazzarini, uh, who says, uh, Hello, I currently have a FEW rye barrel, which I would like to fill with beer or wine, he says, but I believe the whiskey flavor is still too strong. The barrel was emptied over two years ago with heavy charring, level three or four, filled with water and Campton since. What's Campton? You know what that is? No. All right. I have no idea. All right. Well, uh, he says, Is there any way to help make this barrel lose some of that flavor? Would drying it out and then rehydration help or lock in the flavors deeper in the wood? I like the uh, water fill that he already did. You, you know, fill it with water for a couple of days, dump it, fill it with more water for a couple of days, and dump it. I'm curious how long it's had water in it. That's not necessarily a great, a great deal um, mm-hmm. to hold water in there. I would, if you're going to hold a liquid in there, you're going to have to uh, treat it with with uh, citric acid or and potassium metabisulfite. Okay. So. 
And Jay, you don't use potassium metabisulfide any longer, do you? No, same reasons as Jeremy was getting at. Sulfur is not that great to deal with. You can, you know, even the the burning you were talking about, sometimes that'll drip off of like the the disc. There's like a little disc catcher basket in there that you put the the sulfur disc on top of. It should catch all the drips, but when one spills off, that's like concentrated nasty sulfur that can get into the oak barrel. Sometimes we'll buy oak barrels and we'll find those in there. Little, and we'll, little yellow drops. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll, re- we'll, re- we'll reject those because we can. That flavor does carry over to the mm-hmm. to the beer, um, and it's not easy to go away. So having ozone, steam, all that stuff is is really great to get uh, sulfur out of your brewery. You know, I think we've gotten a question like this before. I think the last show we got it was when uh, Jamil and Lauren Salazar were here, mm. and I think. They both looked at each other and were like, ooh, put water in the the whiskey barrel. Why not just put beer? Yeah, yeah. that's right. You know? And it, so I, was he trying to transition it to a sour? Yeah, I missed that part, too. Was he it didn't, clean or sour? Well, he didn't, he didn't specify. He just said, Maybe I'd like to fill it with beer or wine. Yeah. But that's a great point. They did I, say that. Just brew like a uh, imperial stout, stout or something. Stout. Yeah, Right. Strip it out and then move to sour. And after. there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, something we did at the, when, when I was at the breweries. We would use some. I don't know. Do you guys use bourbon barrels for sour beer still? We do. We use them for specifically for tartar darkness. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so right. as we rack out of Black Tuesday, and then we get a second use on that bourbon barrel for the sour beer. We also will sometimes bring them over and do a little bit of oud tart in mm-hmm. bourbon barrels. I remember maybe doing some sour on the rye in my time yeah. in bourbon barrels, it but might have, you know, um, it's, it's a little stronger. Yeah, I've carrier. definitely moved away from that. But an oud tart a little bit, it's not too bad. Um, and then, yeah, all of Tart of Darkness is, is all bourbon barrel. I remember you saying, Jay, you're not a fan of that because when they've had bourbon, that there's more oxygen ingress because of the the uh, charring, right? Yeah, so you, you think of the bourbon barrel, for sour beer at least for me, as more of an ingredient. And you want to add the ingredient when the beer already tastes like you want it to taste. And all you want out of the bourbon barrel is bourbon character. So we do bourbon barrel aged sour beer, but we'll age the sour beer in neutral wine barrels have that develop, then transfer into bourbon barrels, and then just wait till that extraction is over and then get them the hell out. But it's not, if you're starting with sour beer in there from day one, you're going through a little bit of a crapshoot unless you're ready to, okay, I'm not, I'm not committing to the sour beer and the bourbon barrel being in the same vessel for its entire aging process. The two things don't have to happen at the same time. The sour beer aging and becoming a great beer and the bourbon barrel extraction are totally different processes, but you have to be ready to separate them when you get too much of of one. So let's say you start with the bourbon barrel, you get your extraction, I'd say get out of there, and then put it into some neutral vessel. So if you're at home, glass is fine. If you're a professional brewer, a stainless tote or some neutral oak barrels, that's fine. And then wait for the beer to come of age. Or you can do the opposite, kind of let the beer develop a little bit more, transfer into the bourbon barrels, and then once you get the extraction you want, go ahead and package. That way, instead of maybe if it's a 12-month total beer, you're not going for 12 months where lots of oxygen is getting into a bourbon barrel as opposed to like a wine barrel or especially as opposed to a 250-barrel fooder. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you know, instead of having that 12-month Oxygen ingress, you're splitting it up. Maybe it's six and six. Whichever one you want to do first, that's that's fine. But you just got to understand that the time that the sour beer is going to take may be much greater than the amount of time you'll need for the bourbon barrel extraction. 
my take on that is that basically a bourbon barrel is an inferior product to a wine barrel. It's just not as good of a vessel. It breathes more. You know what it's good for? Bourbon. Yeah. That's what it's good for. <laughs> hot sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen some hot sauce, but yeah, it's just an inferior vessel. So you can, you can store beer in it, uh, high, higher ABV, you know, on clean side, but, but really with sour beer, if you want to age something for a year and a half, you know, a bourbon barrel is not your, not your vessel. It just doesn't work. Agreed. Let's quickly, before we go to a break, answer Damian Jones's question. Uh, sour Hour Bylaw Violation was his email title. He Uh-oh. says, Dear Sour Hour board members, uh, I am not sure if the Sour Hour Bylaws would permit this, but I would like to request a brief discussion on fermented hot sauce. Perhaps a few online resources could be mentioned if there is not time to delve into the subject for the show. Insert general smoke blowing here. Love the show, etc. I don't know. Give a quick uh, hot sauce recipe as long as you bring it up. Hot sauce is really easy to make at home. I love it. I use habaneros. Just de-stem them and then toss them in. With uh, I use Good Belly, which a lot of home brewers are uh, familiar with to do their kettle sours. It's just a probiotic shot, mango Good Belly. Top it off with sweet white wine and then add a little bit of salt. That's it. That's it. Yep. Wow. Don't worry about the volumes. You'll get that with time. It's going to ferment. You'll be fine. That's good stuff. Put it in a, I, I do a gallon at a time, which is quite a bit. Oh, the other thing is don't worry about how hot it's going to get because once it's done... What I do is I'll, so I'll let the fermentation go. I have an immersion blender too. So I'll blend it up, then pour it all into a big pot, heat it up to simmer, and then just cut the heat as kind of like a kill step. And then that's just your fermented peppers. You can blend it down with white vinegar or just whatever kind of vinegar you like, and then put it into bottles. And then that's how, that's how hot it's going to be. So you can make the the hotness go up or down with like a a post boil step okay that's that all right the hot hot hour there you go yeah Yeah. not hot beer hot (laughs) Hot hours (laughs) yeah but there's a lot there's some good articles on like the first page of google if you type in fermented hot sauce I'm not sure it can help you with hot sauce, but it can help you with everything beer-related. The Brew Guru. Brew Guru. Uh-huh. Let's talk about that. Let's please talk about Have that. Have you seen it? Of course. Seen what it can do for you? Yes. Yeah. Everything. What hasn't it phone. done? That's a shorter list. It's free. It's built for homebrewers and beer lovers. Brew Guru delivers sage brewing knowledge and money-saving deals at breweries, beer bars, and homebrew supply shops. The American Homebrewers Association designed this powerful mobile app to help homebrewers and craft beer lovers explore the wide world of beer we all share. Hey, that's me. I'm a craft beer lover. That's all of us here. With Brew Guru, you can effortlessly find de- find deals and save money on beer, food, and brewing supplies. Level up your brew IQ with hand-picked articles, proven recipes, and trusted resources from the American Homebrewers Association and Zymergy Magazine. Use the powerful Brewery Locator to find nearby breweries, tap rooms, beer bars, homebrew supply shops, and brew pubs, wherever you are, Brew Guru will lead you to good beer. It's free for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. There you go. Break time? Yes, please. And then we'll open, uh, we got one more very exciting beer coming up from Brewery True right after this. 
Marin Brewing Company in Northern California has been making award-winning beers for more than 25 freaking years. Today, I want to tell you about their new 12-ounce cans of Mount Tam Pale Ale. The good stuff, Mount Tam is bright gold. 5.5% ABV to keep you feeling good and has been winning awards since 1989. If you're visiting the Bay Area, get your butt out to Marin Brewing Company. They pour tasty beers and serve great food every day until midnight. Come in for a tour, stay for the food, and pick up a six-pack of cans of Mount Tam Pale Ale to enjoy at home, camping, biking, or whatever the hell you do. Owner Brandon Moylan has this to say about Marin Brewing Beers. It's freaking awesome. Marin Brewing has won more than 100 gold medals in international competitions. Check out MarinBrewing.com for all their award-winning beers, food, and merch. Marin Brewing Company in Larksburg, California. Award-winning taste, refreshing finish. It's freaking awesome. This is Rob from Allagash Brewing. You are listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. What's that? Yeah. 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 All right. We are back. Sour Hour with the Brewery True. Jeremy, kind enough to come up here just for this. Just for us. <laughs> Just for you guys. Happens to be doing some events surrounding that as well. So if you see him around town, you're listening live, say hello. Uh, and hopefully you'll be get, get enjoy, enjoy the uh, great beers we've had. We've got a few more bottles open. Oh, but yeah. Before that, I want to thank some of our great sponsors. Nishimini. Nishimini. Creek Brewing, <laughs> uh, who are kind enough to send us a whole bunch of beer. Thank you for that. And uh, sponsoring the show now. They've been on the Philly beer scene since 2012. They've been busy since then. Three-time Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brewer of the Year, 14, 15, and 16. Two-time GABF Vienna Style Lager Medal winner. Also a bronze for the Smoke Lager in 2016. They've expanded to a newly renovated tap room with 24 beers on tap. They have free brewery tours on Saturdays with a new second location opening this spring. Check them out. NishemineCreekBrewing.com. Let's do one more. Yeah, please. Oregon Fruit. Some of our favorite. Oh, yep. yeah. Good stuff. We're talking to Jeremy on the last show, also using the Oregon fruit from time to time. Yes, sir. And uh, Chris is very helpful. Their uh, aseptic purees are easy to use, convenient to store. They have no additives or artificial flavors. It's simply a great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with us brewers to help us innovate. You can check them out at fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon fruit. They bring fruit to, to life. life. Yes. All right. So, last segment, yep. got so much to talk about, got yep. two beers open, whole bunch of questions, bunch more listener questions. Let's start with, since we just last segment talked about the uh, wine hybrid beer, we've got a new one open, and I believe this is with apples? It is. This is a, a beer cider hybrid. What's the name of this one? This is called Pomeroo, a hybrid name as well. Palm is uh, French for apple. And the Rue is for Teru. It's actually not for Patrick Rue. Mm. Um, so we actually got away from his name uh, that, on Patrick. this beer. Yeah, take that, Patrick. <laughs> but guess what? It sounds like your name. So, <laughs> But it is spelled differently, um, which was like the label proofs were spelled 
like Patrick Rue's name. So we had to, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. They're like, what do you mean it's not like that? But anyway, we changed it. So this beer, once again, is, uh, you know, 49% apple juice and 51% wit beer, two different kinds. So we make a bottled beer called Beret, which is an imperial wit with raspberries. We did, uh, you know, 49% cider and roughly, uh, or not cider, but juice, um, roughly 26% uh, imperial wit wort and 25% wort from the Fooder Project. So we brought in roughly 300 gallons of this field blend apple juice um, from my friends at Tin City Cider in Paso Robles. If anybody's down at Firestone Fest and you get a chance, uh, Tin City Cider is doing some really, really cool stuff, dry hop ciders, can condition ciders, really interesting things. But um, working with those guys, they actually just happened to call me up and they're like, hey, we have 300 gallons of juice. We'd love to send it down to you. And um, Patrick happened to be walking through the building that day. And I was like, hey, Pat, you want uh, 300 gallons of uh, <laughs> apple juice? And I think it was like $3 a gallon or something like that. And he's like, sure. He needs more for Charlotte at home. <laughs> yeah. He said, sure. <laughs> you know, so we brought it in. It was actually already fermenting uh, native when it came in, mm. which was not ideal by any means. But since it was, it was, you know, really go time. Like, we need to execute, not conceptualize right now, you know. Yeah. So um, we basically had some, some wort being brewed that day, and, you know, I thought that that would be a good profile, but... Anyway, we put this together. Um, this fermented uh, fermented with the native yeast that was already fermenting the, the uh, juice and then also in our punchins. So this got a good dose of our mixed culture. We ended up with 10 barrels of this, stored it for seven to eight months, and um, picked the ones that, that worked, blended it together, and, and did it. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, I like to think of this project as the groundwork for something in the future. I'm hoping to work with them again, you know, maybe not this year, but maybe next year, and you know, do something way more experimental and, and try to you know, use this as a base to, to conceptualize new ideas. So curious to hear what you guys think about it. I think it's terrific. Right up there was the last one. I, maybe I like slightly prefer this one, but that's no knock against the, the last one. I just really, really enjoy this. It's, again, surprising about how much of the you know apple juice you're using in this and how balanced it is it just still tastes to me you know firmly grounded in beer like you were saying before aggressive on the usage rate but not in the in the final beer i think it's terrific would you know jay that this was this had apples as a part of the process if you didn't know no, I don't think so, because... Yeah, I agree. I think this tastes more like a beer totally. than the last one, for sure. We get a lot of um, apple flavor in our beer, our base beer at the rear barrel. I feel like I'm really used to this type of flavor coming out of this in beer, but boy, yeah, it's it's terrific. Jeremy, did you have any um, thoughts, because apple is such a, a, a... Green apple is an established off flavor in beer. Oh, I forgot, Scott, this is your beer. Yeah, right? I've been I know. for the apple beer. Many, many shows ago, I talked about how I... Who doesn't love sour green apple candy? That's like the best flavor of sour candy, but you can't... I don't even People didn't want to do it in beer because it's associated with the off flavor, the green apple off flavor. Any trepidation about using apple in, in beer? No. All right. Simply put, Next question. Moving no, no, simply put, it was uh, it was really, hey, uh, do you want to play with this? And you know, I took the job at the brewery and brewery to Roo to to try things that you know maybe will lead us somewhere, maybe will be a mistake. You know, I, I I was really happy to to get it in and just be like, hey, let's let's try something. And you know, I'm just glad that day that 
we weren't brewing stout. You know, I'm glad that day that we had something that was complementary to right. what we were bringing in. So it, it the timing worked out really well, and we we just went for it. Yeah, it's awesome. Great, it's very well executed as well. Yeah, I'm just curious. Do you think that you know of all the ingredients or processes you guys go through at Taru, is this kind of the area you're most excited about? These kind of you know nearly fifty fifty hybrid things that maybe get you closer to. Not, you know, you're obviously, you've got this experience in winemaking, but at the same time, you're, I think you're loving the experimental nature of these beers, but it's sort of like, while they're hybrid beers, they're almost like hybrid uses of your skill set and creativity. Is that kind of what you're most excited about? Well, I'm really excited about it for sure, but I think it does fit into the skill set that I already had pre-sour beer. So for me, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. It's really easy for me to wrap my head around primary fermentation of juices you know, that being said, I, I don't think I'm more excited about that than, you know, coming up with a new base beer recipe. I think I'm excited about all of that. But, you know, I'd be lying if I, you know, didn't say that, you know, wine beer hybrids come easy to me because they do. The cider thing was, you know, a step in that direction as well. And, you know, that's why I, I said I'm looking forward to where that takes us. You know, I think that mm-hmm. there's a ton of room. I'm, cider's big right now. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen, but it's yeah. it's coming up. Yeah, so. big time. And like I said, people are doing fruited ones, they're doing dry hop ones. I mean, they're, you know, cider's following right in our steps, you know. And, Definitely. Uh, and I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, originality there and a lot, of, a lot of cool people, you know, to work with and learn from. The same thing can be said with, you know, new young winemakers who are very inspired by craft. You know, I know some winemakers who are dry hopping Chardonnay. I know some, you know, guys who are, that are doing bourbon barrel age wines, so... No kidding. Um, yeah. So there's a, a whole new group of people following us, you know. And so I'm just excited about, you know, sharing with those guys, uh, you know, concepts and, you know, teaching them things and learning from them and, you know, trying to make ourselves better. So, yes, I like doing it. I'm, I think I'm skilled at it. But there's a lot in sour beer that that's super exciting, you know, as well. So I'll put my best foot forward and then I'll, you know, I'll learn everything else I need to learn along the way. Good attitude to me. So, like you're saying, you, you've got this experience. You're running one of the largest sour beer programs in the world. People listen to the show for sour beer advice. Uh, I'm going to ask you my favorite sour beer advice question. What do you think the biggest mistake in sour beer brewing is? Oh, I think the biggest mistake, well, I don't think it's in brewing. I actually think it's in uh, blending and finishing beer. So coming from a winemaking background, I think wine business owners have understood this concept for a really, really long time that basically you might buy all this fruit this year, but that doesn't necessarily translate into that I'm going to get this many gallons of Cabernet into bottle. In winemaking, there is this function of declassification. So uh, let's use rare barrel as an, as an example. If you were a winery, if you were tasting through your barrels and you had some, some barrels that you didn't think were rare barrel material, you would never put them out as a rare barrel beer. But you might have a second label that's called Little Barrel, and maybe it's good enough for Little Barrel, you know, and the Little Barrel price point's around $9 a bottle, you know. That aspect of declassifying something and taking it out of your brand so that you don't cheapen your brand and always just putting your best foot forward. And so in wine, they do that all the time. And then if it doesn't even fit that, that next subsidiary brand, they put it on the bulk market and sell it. And so we don't really have that in beer, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that a mistake that a lot of breweries make and, you know, ones that don't understand the financials of barrel aging and, 
you know, putting all this money into something and not reaping any rewards for, you know, two years on it is that by the time they get to finishing a beer and blending a beer, they're all in and they need that money, you know? And so sometimes I think they're blending for volume because they've already, they've already bought the farm, you know, they need to feed the chickens, so to speak. And I, you know, I think that's a real, real danger zone for a lot of young um, people out there. So I think it's really important to know what you want your product to be and to steadfastly stick to that. And if that means that the company needs 30 barrels of something to sell and the best thing you can give them is a volume of 20 barrels and, you know, that's what you need to do. And I think that's a hard, hard lesson for young business owners in the beer industry to learn. I think that's excellent advice. And and especially the perspective of, you know, the tiered aspect of the wine industry for sure. That's, you you see that sometimes and it's like, bottles for sale or you know bulk wine for sale yeah. and all this stuff and it's like whoa like that's I, I can't even imagine that in beer who knows maybe we'll get there someday i don't know if that's you know good or bad but it's interesting and it's kind of an all or nothing proposition so yeah i think what you're saying is you know if you're a sour beer maker just know that when you get into it it's all or nothing and don't do the in-between part yeah don't because quite honestly like there was a time when not a lot of people knew about sour beer but that time's over, you yeah. know, like we're picking up the flaws, you know, I know mm-hmm. I pick up the flaws and, you know, I'm not the average consumer, but the more they get educated, the more they drink our beer, Jay's beer, the more they're educating themselves and they're going to pick up something from somebody else, hopefully not from us, um, <laughs> uh, but not actually hopefully, but they'll pick up something someday and they're going to find something in there and they'll be like, whoa, how did they release this thing? You know, yeah, we run into that all the time and I just think it's a dangerous game to um, not understand that you're going to lose, you know, and you need to be willing to protect your brand at all costs. And, you know, we, we talked about earlier an example of us doing that, you know, we had a beer yeah. that just wasn't, wasn't right. You know, I'm Boy, sure, you, I'm just, sure. You, you keep bringing this back up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, well, you know what? It's a segue <laughs> is what it is. So the next beer we have <laughs> is the beer we made to replace that beer that we couldn't deliver. That's true. Did you get something? Yeah, you had this, right, Scott? Which, this is Sour on the Rye with the Sour on the Rye, yes, right? I did. That is correct, and this is a beer that we did years ago under the brewery label. Mm-hmm. We kind of rushed this beer into production. I personally think this beer is really heavy-handed. How so? Well, this kumquat is over the top. Yeah, it's a departure <laughs> from all the other beers. It's the first out-of-balance beer that we had today, I, th- I yeah. think. I mean, for me, it is. like It's not a favorite of mine. That being said, I wasn't about to make another beer to replace another beer mm-hmm. that was going to fall short of expectation. Like yeah. it was going to be, it was going to be what, what we said it was. Yeah. It's a little more assertive, but so I, you know, maybe if there's tiers of balance, you have ideal balance, just general balance. You could, you can drink this beer and then out of balance is like, you know, boy, I can't really have more than a few ounces of this beer. This is, this is definitely, you know, I could easily have several glasses of this. No problem. This so. is the, probably just another example of my palate sucking. This, yeah. this is the first beer for me today where I, well, I just, yeah, one mm-hmm. four-ounce glasses. Well, I also think we switched base beers here. So, you know, this is our Sour on the Rye. Uh, Jay knows about this beer as well. This is yeah. a 40% rye mash. Um, this is a spicy, <laughs> this is a, you know, this is a spicy, a spicy beer. You know, it's got notes of honey and, uh, you know, you put that with the pithiness, the inherent pithiness of kumquats. Um, you know, we had to use a little tangerine zest to, like, bring more fresh citrus back to it, you know, to dial down the bitterness of the pith. But like I said, I, the last thing we wanted to do is 
fall short and just have a little bit of flavor. We want to make yeah. sure there was a ton of flavor. Sure. And so people are really digging this beer. For me, this isn't my everyday go-to, but mm-hmm. um, that just shows you that I don't know what people want because <laughs> they really like it. <laughs> I think all the Sour on the Rye offshoots are, you know, I hear about those all the time. Is like some of the most sought-after beers. And from all the beers I've had, I mean, you guys are doing a great job with dialing in the acidity and uh, the fruit flavor just also just really on point really good stuff the sour on the rye was always a little more sour when we were making it again that may have a lot to do with the rye just kind of having a lot of food for the bacteria to be chomping on over time but even though this is not nearly as sour as it was when i was there and i think that's also a function of the ages we're looking for you know with some beers i think um in years previous we might have been holding on to them too long in barrel um, so we're kind of making concerted effort to, you know, dial in, you know, specific time for aging for each brand where we need, we need some of our sour blonde base beer to be, to hold up for three years. Not every barrel can hold up for three years. I see absolutely no reason to, uh, age our, our rye sour for three years in a barrel. It just doesn't make sense, but mm-hmm. every beer needs to be treated differently. You, you can't treat every beer the same cause they're not the same. I agree. Well, I think we're running a little long on time, but I wanted to say that this has been a special experience for me because coming from the brewery and then seeing what you guys are doing now and just how amazingly good the beers are now, and they're different. They're like, you know, I have all these and, you know, I've had Roost before and I've had Sour on the Rye before, but if I didn't have any of the labels, I'd say this is a different brewery, but I love this brewery and the beers are great. So I'm really... uh First, just personally happy to see that, but second is just a, it's a credit to what you're doing, Jeremy, for sure. Awesome, dude. That's, that's a great compliment coming from you, Jay. A lot, I mean, a lot of respect for you and your program, so thank you so much. Oh, of course, and I mean it. Uh, what's the next big thing at Taru? And, and then kind of bigger picture, where can people who are listening find your beer? Oh, man, we are, we are in 29 states, I believe now. Um, a handful of countries, I think it's seven or eight countries. We're pretty much everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in this area, you can find us at Total Wine, BevMo. I, I, once again, I'm the guy who makes the beer. Got to name, <laughs> name one more. Yeah, one more. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I think I'm saving you for a viol- from a fine violation. Just got to think of one more. Uh-huh. Uh, we're at City Beer. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's great. Right. Perfect. City beer. Yeah. Craig, Craig's got some of our beer down there. Um, I think he's actually um, tapping some Wanderer tomorrow, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. He's got some anniversary stuff going on. So, Well, great stuff. If you're out there listening, I definitely encourage you to seek it out. You know, if you, even if you had, uh, you know, back when it was all the brewery, you need to try the brewery to root beer. Definitely. It's getting better all the time. The further away I get from it, really, that's the key. That's the key to success. Ever since Jay left, it's just been an upward trajectory. It's terrific. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jeremy, for joining us. Um, One other thing I want to do before we wrap up, I want to thank our great sponsor, the Wine and Hop Shop, Scott. Uh, Yeah. Their website's wineandhop.com. I don't know if you knew that. It's not wineandhopshop.com? No. Did you you hear on the last show where Uh I had Logan read it? Yeah, I sure did. And they all... Talk shit on me for yeah, not getting this read right. Right. And he messed it up. Promptly screwed it up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, wineandhop.com. It's where you go to get Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Most items are going to ship within 24 hours. And best of all, being listeners in the continental United States, get a flat $8 <laughs> shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. 
the wine and hop shop wine, wine and hop, and hop. Dot dot com. com all right let's all right get out of here let's big thanks to jeremy for coming up thanks Just again for, guys scott thank you for your hospitality it's of course dude thanks for bringing all these beers man they oh, really man. taste they're outstanding no problem i'll leave a bill at the bar <laughs> <laughs> great lineup thank you scott thank you dude thank you bevo oh oh, okay. oh thanks peeve yeah sorry <laughs> Thank you guys all for listening out there. We'll be back pretty soon, actually. I'm going to come party at the Rare Barrel. Let's do it. Stay sour. Stay sour.